there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What the world needs now is positivity. Connecting, relating, and being human together is where it's at. Hi there, honey German, and I know life happens. But trust, you got this. And State Farm got us. It feels good knowing that State Farm agents are there to help you choose the right coverage with great support 24-7. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Tengo diabetes. Yo, asma. Estamos en riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocócica. 19 años o más con afecciones crónicas como asma, diabetes, EPOC o enfermedad cardíaca o tienes 65 años o más, estás en mayor riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocócica. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico sobre Prevnar 20, una vacuna de Pfizer que puede ayudar a proteger contra la neumonía neumocócica con una sola dosis. Aunque te hayas vacunado previamente con otras vacunas contra la neumonía, Prevnar 20 puede ayudar a proveer protección adicional. Prevnar 20 está aprobada para adultos para ayudar a prevenir infecciones de 20 cepas de la bacteria que causa la neumonía neumocócica. La aprobación continua puede depender de un estudio de apoyo. No uses Prevnar 20 si has tenido una reacción alérgica grave a la vacuna o a sus componentes. Los adultos con sistemas inmunitarios debilitados pueden tener una respuesta reducida a la vacuna. Los efectos secundarios incluyen dolor e hinchazón en el área de la inyección, fatiga, dolor de cabeza, dolor muscular y en las coyunturas. Para obtener la información para la prescripción completa, llama al 1-855-213-2138 o visita Prevnar20 en español.com. This is He Said, Ella Dijo with Eric Winter and Rosalind Sanchez. Bienvenidos a He Said, Ella Dijo. What's up? Con un episodio único en su clase. We're going to be talking to an astronauta. Astronauta. Nauta. Astronauta. Astro, astronaut. Astronaut. Astro, I can say that. I forget what. Astronauta. Astronaut. Astronauta. His name is Michael Lopez Alegría. He's a NASA astronaut. He is the flight commander for Axiom Space's upcoming X-1, the first fully private orbital space mission in human history. This is going to be bananas. Eric is so excited. He's a nerd. Eric has so many questions. Um, I'm, I'm already like, my heart is like beating super fast because just thinking about being inside a, 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 a spaceship It gives me claustrophobia. This guy's guy a legend. He's been to space a bunch of times. He holds the record for the most spacewalks. He's about to be a part of Elon Musk's SpaceX program that you just talked about, where they're going to orbit wow. the Earth for a year. And I'm sorry, not even. For year. a year? They're going to orbit the Earth and then go to the International Space Station with civilians. This is going to be incredible. Do you want to go to space one day? I'm going to go with Dylan. Okay. We'll talk about that in a second. Do you think Sabella's going to want to go with you? Of course. Mommy's not going. Well, see you later. Peace out. <laughs> All right, let's bring him in. Hey guys. Hey Michael, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Great. So excited to have you on. Michael, okay, I wanna I wanna jump in with this is really funny. And I'm gonna I mean I maybe it's really funny to me, but you don't even know this. I've taken my son to school these last few days, and every day he said to me, Dad, I, can I fly to space? I'm not kidding. <laughs> like every day he's brought this up to me. I said, sure, you know, you could be an astronaut. This is before we even had, you know, fully confirmed that you were gonna be on. We, you can be an astronaut. He said, will, will you come to space with me? I go, you know, funny enough, they're working on that right now. I might be able to come to space with you. Maybe I'll be able to at that. I'll be, you know, I don't say maybe I'll be alive at that. He's four. But I'm like, you have to go to school to be an astronaut. Maybe, 
get an engineering degree. I don't know what you need, but you have to obviously work to be an astronaut and, and go to school for that. And uh, he's so obsessed with, and then he, today he said, can mom and, and sissy come as, as well? Because it was just me for a while. So it was you're, just you're, you're now oh, included okay. to come to space. Okay. <laughs> but my son's obsessed. He wants to be an astronaut. He wants to be like you. What was that like? Four, How does that happen? If he's four and he's already got your email passcode and reading your email, that's pretty good, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. How? And, and he wants to bring his family. So he's uh, demonstrating a high EQ as well as a high IQ. So I think he's perfectly suited. Oh, yeah. Wow. How did, did you always want to be an astronaut? Was this like a childhood dream? Was it a young adult it, dream? It was. It was, uh, it was a once uh, and former childhood dream. I think like a lot of kids, I wanted to be one pretty badly when I was, you know, probably age nine to 11 or 12. And then, you know, as I got older, it sort of faded. And then it grew back, um, oddly, after I was already out of college and uh, a naval aviator and thinking about going to test pilot school, there was an article in the magazine about how all the graduates not all the graduates, many of the graduates had gone on to become astronauts. And that's kind of where I thought, shoot, I'm, uh, I'm back where I was when I was, you know, eight or nine years old and ready to jump in on that dream again. So you didn't go, you weren't in college uh, majoring in something that was naturally going to take you into being an astronaut. No, in fact, I went to the Naval Academy and I thought for half of that time, I wanted to be a submariner. Mm. And then I spent time on a submarine and decided I want to be an aviator. Wow. And to be an astronaut, and sorry for my ignorance, to be an astronaut, you have to be uh, an aviator, aviator, is it aviator? A, a, aviator, like a pilot. You have to know how to. I don't think so. Not anymore. So that's how it was in the beginning. And, and let's be clear, we're talking about a government astronaut. So at least in this country, to be a NASA astronaut for a while, you had to be a, a not only an aviator, but a test pilot, military test pilot. Oh, interesting. And then in starting in 1978, when the space shuttle was coming online, they changed the criteria to open it up to scientists and engineers and medical doctors and all genders. And so it, it really changed the uh, perspective back then. And now I'd say maybe 30% of the new astronauts are, are military pilots and um, the others are, you know, a mix of those other things I said. And wow. then you go to separate schooling to obviously be an astronaut, right? Like you have to go to training and- Well, there's no- kind of university or college career. So you don't study astronaut, right? You study something, engineering. It has to basically be a STEM field. Yeah. And once you have a, a master's degree in it, you apply to become an astronaut. Once you're selected, then you go through a couple of years of training as an astronaut candidate, or as they like to say, ASCAN. And then you're an astronaut once you finish that training. And so the training really is after you're selected. You don't really train to become selected. You do your own field. And, and if you do well, then you're lucky enough to be picked. And am I making this up? Or is it, because I feel like I saw this documentary or this, I think it was on Netflix, something about the space race. And it was talking about the US and Russia. And, and a lot of Americans were going over to Russia to fly up with Russian astronauts. And that sort of stuff. Did you do a lot of that? Did you go over there and do their programs as well and then go up with them? Yes. My last mission, I flew up to the International Space Station on a Russian Soyuz rocket and came home in it um, in the capsule. And so I trained over there for about two years, about a month on and a month off for two years. So yeah, that's pretty common. Now we have our own U.S. commercial crew transportation in the form of uh, SpaceX and hopefully soon Boeing. Mm -hmm. So we don't do that quite as much anymore, but uh, we were doing that from the time the shuttle 
retired in 2011 until just 2020. That was the only game in town. What is the longest that you've been gone in space? Seven months. Wow. Oh. And that, that made me think about, okay, so, and then isn't the record, maybe I'm wrong about the record, the guy who has the twin brother who's married to the center, right? Oh, he yeah. was up for a year. Is that right? Yeah, he broke my record, actually. Oh, I really? Had, That's who broke your record? Yeah. That's the documentary. I, saw. I think his, I think his, his record's been subsequently, subsequently broken, but I'm not sure. But there are three or four astronauts that, were in, that have been in space for just shy of a year, more than 11 months. And um, we're planning, we, NASA is planning to do that again, you know, because they're finding that that was useful medical data to see, you know, what the human body does yeah. between six months and 12 months. Cause you, you, what is it? You like, you lose year or you lose time or you gain time. What is it? Yeah. I don't know, to be honest, but it's pretty small. Like it's pretty, okay. fractions of a second. It's tiny. But is it, so when someone goes like my wife couldn't, she's claustrophobic. She could never even get in a I rocket. I was going to get to that. She would so never I'm, get in a rocket. I would, I, would never, I would like to be inside your mind and see how you're wired because I don't understand how you can be inside a capsule but for, then he's like, in a space station, a tiny, I mean, the space station, how big is the space station? It's how many football fields or something is it? It's roomy. I mean, it's as big as a football field. The inhabited part is not that big, but it's big as, you know, a five or six bedroom house. I mean, it's, it's roomy. So, but you're in you a know, house that you don't leave for seven months. That's true. No, I can't. I, 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 I can't. No, <laughs> it could be no, a horror film for the, some let people. Let me ask you something. I'm assuming the answer is no, because otherwise you wouldn't be, uh, this wouldn't be your field. But uh, have you ever had an episode that you're like, Oh my God! I'd I, I'd get me out of here. I my my body, my spirit is telling me I need I need Earth. I need to go home. I want space. You I want to run. You can't jump in the car. It so never you, happens. No. No. Well, well, you mentally are preparing for this. Be me every two seconds. That's probably a part of the training, right? Like you have to really be mentally focused on what I you're doing. I think that would be uh, an, a select out criterion, as they say. Yeah, yeah, right. Like you'd know it before you went up there in that situation. I mean, your first time going to space. Was it just pure adrenaline? This is what I'm doing. This is in, insane, like amazing. What, uh, I mean, what you want to describe it? And then your last time, it's just like jumping on the horse again? Not at all. Uh, so first of all, you have to understand that the, the thing people are most worried about when they're sitting on top of a rocket going to space is screwing up. Yeah. Like they mm -hmm. really are concentrated on their job. And the time to be afraid of all that stuff is long past. I mean, by the time you get there, you're not unaware of it you'd be silly if if you didn't think that it's if you didn't think it was dangerous but you're really focused on kind of whatever your responsibility is and and secondly i didn't i don't think it got any sort of uh less exciting from one mission to the next um it's pretty unique experience in terms of physiological impact to your body so there's it it is the e-ticket ride, as they used to say, at Disneyland. Wow. You might think you don't know what that means. Back in the day, yeah, <laughs> the most exciting rides, you know, they had tickets from A, B, C, C, D, and E, and E was the like the, the one coupon that you wanted to save. For sure. Do you have family, Michael? You have kids and married and all that? I have a 22-year-old son. His mother, my former wife, uh, lives in Switzerland, and he's in New York. Does he want to be an astronaut or did he want to be an astronaut at any point? Let's just say the apple fell far from the tree. <laughs> He's extraordinarily creative and passionate and sensitive. I mean, he is a completely right half brain person, but 
he's you know following his dream and I followed mine. I you know I couldn't be happier for him. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming. And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I often get asked why I'm such a big fan of wrestling. And it's all thanks to my grandma. Growing up, we would watch matches together. And that bond turned me into a lifelong fan. Hi, I'm Freddie Prince Jr., And on my podcast, Wrestling with Freddie, we know how important it is to have the right teammate because things can get pretty tricky quick. So, when things get complicated and you need help, State Farm gives you options. They show you what's possible for ensuring what matters to you. One of the things that matters to me? Sharing memories and revisiting wrestling's greatest moments. And with State Farm's support of the My Cultura Podcast Network, I get to do just that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite Michael Tura shows wherever you listen to podcasts. Tengo diabetes. Yo, asma. Estamos en riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocócica. 19 años o más con afecciones crónicas como asma, diabetes, EPOC o enfermedad cardíaca o tienes 65 años o más, estás en mayor riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocócica. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico sobre Prevnar 20, una vacuna de Pfizer que puede ayudar a proteger contra la neumonía neumocócica con una sola dosis. Aunque te hayas vacunado previamente con otras vacunas contra la neumonía, Prevnar 20 puede ayudar a proveer protección adicional. Prevnar 20 está aprobada para adultos para ayudar a prevenir infecciones de 20 cepas de la bacteria que causa la neumonía neumocócica. La aprobación continua puede depender de un estudio de apoyo. No uses Prevnar 20 si has tenido una reacción alérgica grave a la vacuna o a sus componentes. Los adultos con sistemas inmunitarios debilitados pueden tener una respuesta reducida a la vacuna. Los efectos secundarios incluyen dolor e hinchazón en el área de la inyección, fatiga, dolor de cabeza, dolor muscular y en las coyunturas. Para obtener la información para la prescripción completa, llama al 1-855-213-2138 o visita Prevnar20 en español.com. Has there ever, and again, like you were talking about, like the, there's got to be a level of fear, but you're taking off. You don't want anything to screw up when you're about to blast off on a rocket. There hasn't been any other casualties in space trips since the, uh, the um, Challenger, right? That's like the biggest, I mean, that's when I grew up watching that and seeing the that. The Challenger happen. was in 1986, but the Columbia was in oh. 2003. So Challenger, yeah, I was going to say, not so long ago. Oh, yeah. there was pa- how many passengers were on that? Seven. Seven on mm. that. Oh, Both. Wow. So we've lost those two seven-person crews, plus the Apollo 1 fire killed three people. That wasn't in flight, but it was pre-flight. And the Russians have had two accidents and lost four people total. So it's not without its risk, for sure. But I think as technology gets better, and like, who would have thought that you could drive a car without your hands on the wheel all the time? For sure. Now that you've got these sort of self-driving-ish cars, and pretty soon, I think, purely self-driving cars, that kind of repetitive and, and fast processing and repetitive design and manufacturing that's uh, facilitated by digital CAD cam and that kind of thing, I think makes the, the production process much less artisanal and, and more repeatable, which I think reduces 
the uh, variation from the, de the desired point. And so you have more margin from a safety standpoint. That makes sense. Is it still a, a profession that um, it's predominantly male compared to more, more male astronauts and female? It is majority male, but it's uh, ever increasing percentage of females. Um, the last class before this one was 50-50. And I think this mm -hmm. one was maybe one more male than female. I'm not 100% sure. When I say class, I'm talking about the NASA astronaut class. Uh -huh. So it is rapidly becoming kind of a 50-50 environment. That's incredible. What about Latina women? Do we have one? We've had a, a couple, I think, uh, one actually before me, um, and then I think there have been some since. So there is a, a pretty good diversity from, you know, across all range of spectrum. Let me, let me ask you this. This is actually something I'm so glad I get to ask you this question because I was having these conversations at, uh, at work when you had Richard Branson, I don't know what that project was called, when his plane flew up and they said they went to outer space and they all got astronaut wings. Yeah, Blue Origin, which is like the feels like the most amazing Disneyland ride. You shoot way up, you're in, and you come right back down. And now you have what SpaceX is about to do with you and all these civilians where you're actually going to go orbit the Earth, correct? And then go to the space station. Now, to me, and I have no idea, I'm not an, I, I'm the furthest thing from it, but I was like, okay, what Richard Branson did, like there was people making like comedians were making jokes about it. It's like he basically took off on an airplane and went to like a peak and you're kind of in space and you came out or you break the, the what is that called? The, the Carmen line. The Carmen line, right? So he technically is in space. They got astronaut wings. The Blue Origin one, I get it. They actually went up. They're completely out. They saw everything and then they come back down. Do you see it as a difference of earning your astronaut wings, I guess it's called, of the two different methods of going up there? One feels a little bit more embedded into space than the other for me. I, mean, I think the only differentiator is how high they go. So the, the Richard Branson project is called Virgin Galactic, and they make it up to 85 or 90 kilometers. The Carmen line is at 100 kilometers. So technically, by international definition, the Virgin Galactic project didn't make it to space, but the Blue Origin did. They go to like 105, I think, and they're comfortably above 100. Um, however, back in the 1950s and 60s, 60s, I guess, the U.S. Air Force called space 50 miles, which is like 80 kilometers. So Virgin Galactic can claim by US definition that they've been to space. And so they all call themselves astronauts. Now, both of those are completely different from what SpaceX does, which is that you orbit the earth. And what the major difference is, is how much energy it takes to get there. So as you point out, in the Blue Origin case, it's a rocket that goes straight up and it comes straight back down. Virgin Galactic, similar, they take off in an airplane, it drops a rocket plane that goes straight up and then comes down, except at the end it's an airplane, so it's a glider, right? In the SpaceX, uh, any orbital vehicle, you go up for a little bit, but then you kind of go sideways parallel to the surface of the Earth and you're just accelerating. You're going faster and faster and faster. So you end up going over 17,000 miles an hour because if you don't, you're coming back down. So that's the difference. They, they go about two and a half, maybe three times the speed of sound. We go 25 times the speed of sound oh to get God. So the Association of Space Explorers, which is an international professional society of astronauts, currently says that you have to have orbited the Earth in a spacecraft to be an astronaut or to be a member of the ASE. Um, we'll see if that changes because I think, you know, it. By definition, anybody who goes to space is an astronaut. 
they can, you know, we, I'm a member, can say we want to limit it to only orbital astronauts, but it's kind of a unique um, club, if you will, fraternity, sorority, and we welcome these new flyers until they start to outnumber us, and then we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I'm with, I have to say, I'm with you. I think you have to be able to orbit the Earth to be truly considered an astronaut, because I think it, in a way, it makes it too commercialized. I don't want to say diminishes, but just takes away from all of the work and the information and training and study and everything you guys put in to do what you guys do, because it's so far much more extreme. Like you said, just physiologically, mentally, I mean, everything. Yeah, and you, you hit on another important thing, and that's training. I mean, we our guys are training for five, six months in order to do this. Um, and it's not only the spacecraft to get us there, which is a SpaceX Crew Dragon, but when they get there to the International Space Station, they're all doing uh, their own suite of scientific experiments. So we're kind of contributing to the knowledge of mankind. And that's not like the FAA telling you that you put the tab of the of the seatbelt in and lift the buckle to release, right? It's a very different um, regime sure. when it comes to training. So it's a, it's a completely different thing. And unfortunately today for private astronauts, it's, it's commensurately more expensive and only very wealthy people can afford it. But the idea is that that's how it was back in the twenties and thirties with commercial aviation. And now, you know, people are getting on airplane relatively routinely. So we hope that the commercial space flight follows that same trajectory. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I often get asked why I'm such a big fan of wrestling. And it's all thanks to my grandma. Growing up, we would watch matches together, and that bond turned me into a lifelong fan. Hi, I'm Freddie Prince Jr. And on my podcast, Wrestling with Freddie, we know how important it is to have the right teammate because things can get pretty tricky quick. So, when things get complicated and you need help, State Farm gives you options. They show you what's possible for ensuring what matters to you. One of the things that matters to me sharing memories, and revisiting wrestling's greatest moments. And with State Farm's support of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, I get to do just that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite Michael Tura shows wherever you listen to podcasts. Tengo diabetes. Yo, asma. Estamos en riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocócica. 19 años o más con afecciones crónicas como asma, diabetes, EPOC o enfermedad cardíaca o tienes 65 años o más, estás en mayor riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocócica. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico sobre Prevnar 20, una vacuna de Pfizer que puede ayudar a proteger contra la neumonía neumocócica con una sola dosis. Aunque te hayas vacunado previamente con otras vacunas contra la neumonía, Prevnar 20 puede ayudar a proveer protección adicional. Prevnar 20 está aprobada para adultos 
Unidos para ayudar a prevenir infecciones de 20 cepas de la bacteria que causa la neumonía neumucósica. La aprobación continua puede depender de un estudio de apoyo. No uses Prevnar 20 si has tenido una reacción alérgica grave a la vacuna o a sus componentes. Los adultos con sistemas inmunitarios debilitados pueden tener una respuesta reducida a la vacuna. Los efectos secundarios incluyen dolor e hinchazón en el área de la inyección, fatiga, dolor de cabeza, dolor muscular y en las coyunturas. Para obtener la información para la prescripción completa, llama al 1-855-213-2138 o visita Prevnar 20 en español.com. Let me ask you another thing. So, and you hold the record for the most spacewalks, correct? For U.S. record, there is one Russian that has more spacewalks. What do you mean spacewalks? Space, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. Spacewalk means you are outside the International Space Station. You're attached, but you are working on the space station. You are out floating around in space. You're wearing a special suit and you're what they call doing an extravehicular activity or EVA. So spacewalk, that's correct. And is that more risky? Is that the riskiest part of the job? Would you say like the most I'd dangerous? Say launch is the most risky and reentry is the next most risky. But while you're on orbit, doing a spacewalk is the most risky for sure. If something goes wrong, what is a backup plan? Depends what goes wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, like the most extreme situation, I guess, is you become detached from the space station. So I think the two risks are one, you become detached, or two, your spacesuit takes a, a micrometeorite um, con impact and yeah. you have a hole in your suit. Has that ever happened no. to anybody? Either one? No. no. Neither has happened. And in a former case, we actually have a little jet backpack that we wear that's uh, meant to do a self-rescue for which we train. So if we ever found ourselves detached from the space station. Let me just back up and say, back in the days of the space shuttle, if you got untethered, the space shuttle would just go get you, right? It's pretty maneuverable and could chase you down. But the space station is this huge behemoth, you know, 100, 450 tons. It's not going to be able to do that. So we deploy a, a special uh, hand controller and we use it to orient ourselves and to find our way back to the station. Now for the second case, if you take a, a hit, and you have a leak, we have enough breathing gas, oxygen, to fill, to sort of replenish the pressure in a suit of up to a certain size hole. And it's statistically nearly impossible to have a bigger hole than that. So that is our mitigating strategy is we have extra gas on board that would allow us to get back inside and repressurize before you'd run out of air in your suit. Can you, because the space station's orbiting, orbiting, right? If you become detached, do you now sit in an orbit? Mm -hmm. So you don't float out of orbit, right? So you would stay on the same sort of orbit as that, but you're going to go much slower. Well, so when you're, even though we're going, you know, 17,000 miles an hour, relatively, it doesn't feel that way. Only if you look down and you see the earth, but if you are holding on to the space station and you let go, you're not going anywhere. You're just going to drift alongside but, but the problem is that you have a little bit of separation relatively from the ISS, and there's no way to change that to get back. So you would uh, die a lonely death in orbit, but it'd be pretty. You couldn't just wait. <laughs> you could never wait in orbit for it to catch back up to you, right? Because you'd just be going at the same speed. Actually, you could. You would probably have a next closest point of approach one orbit later. How long? How, how much time would that take? 90 minutes is one orbit. So you'd have an hour and a half of waiting to hope to reach out and grab your next ride. Yeah, 
That would be tough. <laughs> so you would just die. You would essentially float off and you'd just die in orbit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be it would be lonely. But, you know, again, there's tons of precautions. We're trained to the nth degree to not ever become untethered. You know, it's yeah. super unlikely there'd be a hardware failure. We're talking about a steel braided cable yeah. is what holds us. So yeah. as long as you attach it correctly and we double and triple check ourselves, you're fine. You're fine. It's so never you, happened. It's never happened. Nothing. Never happened. I got to, to test fly that backpack though on purpose um, to see, because we trained for it in virtual reality. We wanted to get a qualitative evaluation of how good the training is for compared to reality. And it worked pretty well. You could catch up. It gave you speed. Yeah. Wow. Do you ever feel any health? I don't want to say issues, but when you're up there, do you feel like your body goes through changes? Do you feel different or is abs- yes, is exactly definitely. the same? So f- when people get to space, uh, generally for a few hours, they have what we call space adaptation sickness, which is nausea. Basically, it's a little like being seasick. Mm. Um, it varies from person to person. Some people barely notice it. Other people have to get an injection to you know put them to sleep, basically. But after, let's say, two days, everybody is fine. Um, and the other thing you notice a lot is since the, you're not in gravity, the fluid that normally is down pooling in your lower extremities kind of tends to rise. So your, your face gets a little bit flush. Sometimes it feels like you're congested. But a lot of people say it's nice because in space you grow generally as yeah. you get a little bit taller and your wrinkles go away because you're... Um, you know, you have more fluid in your face. And so I'm gonna try that. It's a natural filler. <laughs> I'm gonna try it's plastic surgery. I'll forget about my claustrophobia. And no back pain, right? Because you're just getting constant traction. <laughs> There's nothing actually that's funny because you do get back pain because this oh, growth is from your spinal cord extending, right? Because it's not under under compression all the time. And some people do get some back pain. But you know, the aches and pains are pretty minor. People generally don't get sick up there because um, they're all, the only germs that are up there are the ones that we bring with us. And we spend a couple of weeks in quarantine, making sure that there aren't any. Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty safe environment. Um, you know, sometimes you get to bang your head on something because you're trying to be like Superman going a little too fast. But again, those are self-inflicted. Got it. When you watch a movie like, what is a Matt Damon movie? Uh, oh, the, the Martian? The Martian. When you watch a movie about space and astronauts and, and, and that kind of experience, is it laughable to you or is it pretty accurate? Depends on the movie. Um, yeah, like what, that what, one. Like The Martian can't. Like that, the, that, that's the, never happened. No, no humans so ever Martian been The Martian is extraordinarily well researched. Okay. You know, I mean, could it happen? I, I think so. Uh, Gravity had some really realistic scenes in it, and then some that were like completely unpalatable when you, <laughs> if you know anything about orbital mechanics. Okay. But, you know, they're movies. They're not meant to be documentaries or, fact, or factual. They're trying to make people laugh or cry or, or whatever the desired yeah. emotion is. Mm-hmm. So I, I appreciate them. I mean, some are sillier than others, but I enjoy mo- watching most of them. And this is a good, um, I have two more questions. I, I got one more. I got I a know, good Sorry, one. sorry, I sorry. One. I know you're fascinated. You're like, a, it's funny. I'm geeking um, out. I'm geeking out. Listen, oh, I forgot. What was it? What was it? What was it? Okay. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know if you're able to say, I don't know if this is the, the right question, but. You're going to ask me one of three questions. One is. How do you go to the bathroom in space? Two, no. have you had sex in space? Or three, have you seen any aliens? By the way, all the, okay, I want to know the answer to all three of those. Those are all amazing questions. But I also have another question. But I want to know. Want, those I three. want you to talk to me about UFOs. You no. believe in UFOs. First, talk about sex in space. How many? They don't how, have sex in space. No, how, I think it's forbidden, right? I think I read in the thing you're not supposed to have no. sex in space, right? 
nobody's ever told me I couldn't, but to my knowledge, it's never happened. Oh, okay. I thought okay, there was I some kind of rule. Maybe it was like, I saw the documentary. It's like an unspoken rule. You're not supposed to do that in space. I don't know. Maybe I made that up. It is an unspoken rule, I guess. I mean, but you don't know anybody that's hooked up in space. No one's ever. Okay. Or, what you, about, or you're sworn to secrecy and you can't say. Well, you pick. Exactly. <laughs> what about, you know what? You brought it up. So I want to know bathroom situation. Is the toilet and you flush and it goes into space and no, no, it uh, doesn't go to space. So the, the issue with going to the bathroom is there's no gravity. So you got to get the stuff going in the right direction. And the simple solution for urination is it's a little bit of a suction, a vacuum, if oh, you will. Okay. And you urinate into a hose and it goes into a tank and it stays there. Defecation is a little more sporty, but same idea. You want to make sure that you're, you know, sitting on something and you, it goes into a can for mm -hmm. lack of a better word. That's actually got a plastic bag liner and you just close it up when you're done and it stays in there. And after a while, when the urine tank and the, and the potty are full, we cap them off and we put them in the um, return. So we get our cargo from uncrewed cargo ships that come up full of stuff. And when it's empty, then we start putting trash in it. And when it's full, it detaches and it re-enters the Earth's atmosphere and burns up. So it's oh, a, wow. that's our disposal system. Wow. What about food? Since you can't bring a private chef and you can't cook. Oh, they have astronaut food. <laughs> Haven't you ever had astronaut food? I know. So for seven months, you just have like these little things in, in, in what, in like in contain containers? And that's freeze, your diet? Freeze-dried food, right? Kind of like uh, metal pouches, most of it. Some of it's freeze-dried and you have to rehydrate it. I mean, the food is obviously it's, it's nourishing and it's... Uh, it tastes okay. It's just, it's a bit repetitive. Our, our menu cycle repeats every 10 days. So every 10 days, you know, you're getting the same thing. Okay. And there's no, I mean, I like to cook. And so there, when you prepare, preparing consists of taking this pouch and putting it in the oven and letting it get hot and then opening and eating it. So there's no variation. You can't try things, you know, you can't improvise or anything. It's just a, it's just a preparation. It's not cooking. Okay, now what about aliens? Aliens. Anything you've seen outside the windows? A light, a thing. Same answer as sex in space. Never, never seen it. Never heard of anyone who's seen it. And, you know, you're going to ask me, am I just hiding something? And my answer is the same. Yeah. I, I honestly, of all the stuff that's come out recently, my personal opinion is everything has a terrestrial explanation. That's... That's my firm belief. So you don't believe mm. you don't believe in in ETs. Uh, well, so that's a different question. Okay. I, I think there's intelligent life out there in the universe because okay. the universe is so big. It's unreasonable not to think that. Got However, it. the universe is so big that it's unreasonable to think we'll ever find them. And then when you think about the distances involved and how far we ventured from our planet, we've gone two hundred fifty thousand miles away to the moon. That's as far as we've ever gone. Put that in universal galactic scale. I mean, it's not—it's not even measurable. Mm. So it's hard for me to. It's easy for me to assume that there's life out there, and at the same time, you know, we haven't and probably won't ever encounter it. So the stuff we're wow. seeing, the people say, "Oh, UFO, this spotted uh, it's somebody—it's terrestrial stuff done here." It's that, a plane, yeah, <laughs> or it's special forces. It could be intelligence. It could be any kind of number of things. Let me ask you this. Who is the last, who are the last astronauts to go to the moon? Uh, Gene Cernan and Jack Schmidt. Those are the Gene last ones. Cernan was a professional astronaut and Jack Schmidt was a, a geologist. And when was that? 1972. And do you think mm -hmm. we will ever send anybody else back to the moon? Do you wish that, is that anything yeah. that you ever wish? Like I would have gone to the moon. That's one thing. 
course I wish that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, NASA has plans to go back to the moon this decade. And the previous administration was saying 2024. This one has said, eh, maybe 2025. I personally don't think they'll get there before 2026, seven, maybe eight. But we'll, we'll get there. SpaceX won't do it? I think SpaceX could do it. Um, and they could probably do it faster. But in order for them to do it, they need some kind of profit incentive. I don't think they're going to go do it just to do it. Now, Elon would like to go to Mars just to do it. But Mars is a much tougher nut to crack, much, much harder. And I think, you know, his uh, predictions that he'll be getting there sometime soon are ambitious at best. How far so is I Mars versus the moon? Um, I don't know exactly. I think I know the moon is at 250,000 miles ish and Mars is um, maybe I'd be guessing, but I'll tell you, it takes three days to get to the moon. It takes wow. somewhere between six and nine months to get to Mars. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. oh my God. So when you think about all the stuff that we'd have to bring with us to yeah. be able to, and oh, by the way, when you're on your way to the Mars, you can't turn around. So yeah, you're no. going to Mars six to nine months, you're coming back six to nine months, and then you want to stay there, right? You don't want to do a, a touch and go there. So think about all the stuff you have to bring with you, food, water, clothes, propulsion, oxygen, CO2 scrubbing. Something is impossible I mean, it's though. a long list. It's so impossible. you're either building an enormous vehicle or you're building uh, a bunch of a fleet and you're sending them, you know, ahead of time and Prepositioning them and hoping that like a tag team kind of a thing, right? Yeah. I really hope that you are on that mission to the moon and that you come back and talk with us at that point because I want to know what happens and I want photos. <laughs> I, have a, I have a last question, uh, Michael. Um, what do you think the benefit of private space travel is? Well, so I have a, a couple of ways that I can answer that. One is I think it's sort of a natural expansion of how. Um, societies work so it you know the governments usually explore the frontiers and establish security and then when once the beachhead has been uh, established so to speak then they merchants come in and do commerce so that's kind of what's happening in low earth orbit now mm -hmm. uh, the other thing i would say is that to date something like 600 people have ever been to space in the history of humanity and everybody who's gone perhaps a little bit less those who've gone suborbitally, so the Virgin Galactic and the Blue Origin, but everybody who's orbited the Earth has come back with this um, overview effect, which is that they see humanity, the Earth, from a different perspective, and they have a different level of connection with it. And it's a very positive influence. It gives you more tolerance. It gives you more sense of wanting to protect the planet, et cetera. And if only 600 people have had that experience, the vast majority of them of whom are government astronauts, you know, the, the spread of that goodwill, if you will, is pretty limited. But once you start having people of means go to space and their footprint, their impact is so much higher, then pretty soon, not only are you spreading it organically person by person, but you're spreading it by all the people that those people touch. Hmm. And I think that is a, um, an effect, a, a phenomenon that is much needed today, you know, this world of division and rancor. And I think it's a positive thing in commercial space, like it can help, help us do it, help us get there. It's interesting. Beautiful. Absolutely.
Thank you so much for joining us. Yes. This is one of my favorite podcasts. I completely nerded out on all of this information. And <laughs> it was a blast. So appreciate your all time, right. Michael. It's good to see you guys. Thank you. Now, wait, before you go, your launch, the new SpaceX, I know the date just got pushed. Um, what is the new date? March 31st. March 31st. And I think it's going to be televised. It's going to be all, all kinds afternoon, of stuff. afternoon, local time in Florida-ish. Okay. Can't wait. All right, Michael. Beautiful. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. You too. Bye. That was um, awesome. Can I tell you something? You are a nerd. It was very beautiful to watch you be a nerd. And something Michael's else. not a nerd, first of all. Michael's one of the coolest guys on no, the planet. No, he's not a nerd. He's not, he's not a nerd. Listen to me. Um, first of all, to me, it's, I can't even comprehend why or how somebody is, want to be an astronaut because I astronaut, will. Astronaut, not como, astronaut. Como se dice? Astronaut. Astronauta, no me importa. Astronauta. Anyways, how are you, how can you be inside a capsule for months? And like just thinking about it the whole time that we were talking to Michael Lopez Alegria, I was getting anxiety. I'm sure. Just thinking about his life. No, this is a horror film for you. It is a horror film. Listen, but I I think it's super interesting and I appreciate um, he's so smart and just so cool and collected and he's just cool. So I was like, you know what? This guy's been to space how many times? He's most spacewalks of any astronaut ever. Of course he's cool. He's chilling. You're cool, Michael. You're cool. And you know what? I I, I, I think I know why... First of all, Dylan, guys, it's, so, it's such a very, it's just such a special little kid. He's fascinated with heaven and God, and he's always asking all these random questions. But I think that the astronauta, can you say, say the word, please? Astronaut. Astronaut thing. Um, we, we live in the same neighborhood as William Shatner. Can you say the name, please? You just said it. Okay. Is it that correct? Okay. <laughs> yeah. William Shatner. And you know, he's like Captain, what? Kirk. Yeah. And he did... Um, he what, did what you, Star Wars. Dylan loves place? Star Wars. And we were no. like going on a little hike around Dylan, the, the neighborhood. Dylan and I watched. And I said, no, listen, but listen, listen, listen. But I, and I told him, listen, uh, oh my God, um, Dylan, you see the house over there? There's a guy, he's a, a, a man that did Star Wars, Captain Kirk. And I showed him a picture of Captain Kirk. And then I showed him a picture of him now. And I said, and guess what? He went to space. And I showed him a video of William Shatner actually going to space. And maybe that affected but, him. Well, remember, Dylan and I watched together the uh, Blue Origin takeoff. And that was like the coolest thing. And he was yeah, fascinated right. by it. Okay. He, he's been obsessed with space for quite some time. And literally, I'm not kidding. The last three days has brought it up to me every time. When am I going to space? Uh, I want you to well, go. Well, he's not going, so it's you, okay. I want you to go to space with me. I thought, don't make a dream big. You can do whatever he wants. No, he's he not said, going. I want you to go to space with me. I I'll said, be no petrified. problem. I'll go with you. Apparently, your mom's not going to join. So You're going with him to space? He wants me to. Well, we'll be in heaven by the time he gets to go. No, we could be in space by the time he's in his 20s. How old are you going to be? I'll be pretty old. <laughs> 60 something year old going to space. Well, oh, that's time. not bad. How, how old is William Shatner? Like 90 and he he's did 90, it? 90, yeah. Okay, I guess he's I doing go with him. It's possible. And at that point in time, that's a long, you know, 20 more years. We're going to make we'll a have a lovely time. I'll be, I'll be at, a, at a spa. Let him down. Rooting for but you that guys. Was, that was awesome. I'm so happy we had him on. I can't wait to see this launch, March 31st. Um, Michael Lopez Alegria, former NASA astronaut. Not former. He's going to space again now. He's not former. Where he is a for astronaut, flight commander for Exium. That's what you're saying. Space's upcoming X-1, the first fully private orbital space mission in human history. Wow. Yeah, awesome. All right. 
Good episode. He said, ella dijo, love you. Love you. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to write us a review and tell us what you think. If you want to follow us on Instagram, check us out at he said, ella dijo, or send us an email, Eric and Ross at iHeartRadio.com. He said, ella dijo, is part of iHeartRadio's My Cultura Podcast Network. See you next time. Bye. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Tengo diabetes. Yo, asma. Estamos en riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocócica. 19 años o más con afecciones crónicas como asma, diabetes, EPOC o enfermedad cardíaca o tienes 65 años o más, estás en mayor riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocócica. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico sobre Prevnar 20, una vacuna de Pfizer que puede ayudar a proteger contra la neumonía neumocócica con una sola dosis. Aunque te hayas vacunado previamente con otras vacunas contra la neumonía, Prevnar 20 puede ayudar a proveer protección adicional. Prevnar 20 está aprobada para adultos para ayudar a prevenir infecciones de 20 cepas de la bacteria que causa la neumonía neumocócica. La aprobación continua puede depender de un estudio de apoyo. No uses Prevnar 20 si has tenido una reacción alérgica grave a la vacuna o a sus componentes. Los adultos con sistemas inmunitarios debilitados pueden tener una respuesta reducida a la vacuna. Los efectos secundarios incluyen dolor e hinchazón en el área de la inyección, fatiga, dolor de cabeza, dolor muscular y en las coyunturas. Para obtener la información para la prescripción completa, llama al 1-855-213-2138 o visita prevnar20enespañol.com. What the world needs now is positivity. Connecting, relating, and being human together is where it's at. Hi there, honey German, and I know life happens, but trust, you got this. And State Farm got us. It feels good knowing that State Farm agents are there to help you choose the right coverage with great support 24-7. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.